everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and the treatment of those things and how to get your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed clinician specializing in those things. Um, and uh, welcome, everybody, to the show. For those of you who are new to this uh, podcast, uh, this is a question and answer based podcast. If you have questions about OCD and anxiety treatment, you can message me over at fearcastpodcast.com and uh, you can ask your question and I will read it, consider it, and likely put it up on a future episode. Uh, I'm going to say likely because we're all going to have to accept uncertainty that I might miss one. I might not want to put it up. It might be just too profane. I'm not going to put that up for sensitive little ears. Or I might. So that these are all possibilities, but we're all going to have to sit with the uncertainty that no one can know the future. Or you know what? This one may be the last one that ever happens. I may never record one again because the world explodes, because all of my technology fails, because my throat explodes. I don't know. But we're all just going to have to sit with the uncertainty, right? And that's why we're here. Anyhow, um, so again, you can go to fearcastpodcast.com and you can ask your questions there at the uh, submit a question link. Um, for all of you, if you are return listeners and you like the show, I'm assuming if you returned, you are either, you either like the show or you just hate listening to this, which is also something that um, is totally fine. You're free to do it. But um, if you like it, go over to iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever else this thing is posted, wherever else you're listening to it now, um, give a like, give a review, give a thumbs up, whatever uh, it, it is. That uh, Ultimately, what that does, it helps other people find the show and uh, just expands the show there. I don't do any advertising other than, I suppose, Instagram. I throw things up on Reddit every now and again, but um, it is all through word of mouth or people finding it through those various platforms. So if you found it through one of those platforms and you find this show helpful, um, help the show out a little bit by typing up a little review or just, uh, you know, just giving us a, a simple, um, you know, five stars, whatever it might be. Thank you very much. So, all right, everybody, hope everyone is doing well out there. Things are crazy, obviously. But, um, you know, can we expect anything different out of 2020? I'm going to go ahead and say no. It is just the way that things are right now. And things will settle down eventually. And, you know, we're just gonna have to ride to this year out in this week in this day in this moment and um for this time that we're listening or that, that we are talking together on this podcast we're just going to ride through this one and i just appreciate everyone who has found hope and help with these episodes and uh, it just means a lot that there are people out there who um, uh, uh, find some encouragement here and uh, I, i'm just incredibly appreciative to all of you who have sent in questions i keep looking at my inbox and i get i get new ones every day and it's just exciting so thank you all for trusting me with these questions and trusting me with some of this uh, uh, th this very uh, vulnerable information and this uh, very uh, on very sensitive topics so it is uh, is truly an honor that, uh, that that I get to be a part of that. So um, if that is uh, too much sappiness and too much feeling for all of you, don't worry, we're going to get into the questions and I'm going to be um, harsh and mean and rude and uh, judgy uh, as per usual. And uh, I think we are just going to jump into that now. So without further ado, everybody here are this week's questions. This first question comes from Haley. 
She says, Hi, my name is Haley, a young adult living in Colorado. I've been nonstop listening to your podcast, and I've been attending therapy for four weeks now. Since we got quarantined here in Colorado, I got intense fears of being gay or questioning my homosexuality, as well as my relationships. I'd like to know, how can you explain HOCD slash ROCD to others without sounding dumb? All right, Haley, thank you so much for that question. And you know, this is a question that comes up a lot. A lot of people want to know, how can they explain their obsessions? And sometimes I'll get the question that, that, that focuses you know, on this, basically, how do I explain this to people? Um, and it, it really comes from folks who want to know, like, how do I explain some more of these abstract ones? Or some people will ask, how do I explain POCD? And for those of you who don't know, that is pedophile OCD. It's just, just OCD about thoughts that what if I'm a pedophile? What if I'm going to become a pedophile? What if I'm deep down am a pedophile, etc., etc.? And just ruminations about those things. Well, Haley, first thing that I would encourage you to do is if um, if you haven't gotten to this episode in your um, Fearcast binging, uh, there's a, 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 a podcast episode that I did very, very early on. I think it's something called like we have to talk about OCD or let's talk about OCD, something like that. It's within, it's easily within the first 15 episodes. You should be able to find it. Um, and, and on that, I go over a, uh, I expand a lot in, in a lot more detail and a, a lot more length about um, ways that you can go about doing this. But even before I get into a way to explain OCD and then some of these other subtypes to folks, I, I want to challenge this idea about you fearing sounding dumb. The fact that you've listened to this podcast, even a single episode, will mean that you probably know more about OCD than the average person. And I don't mean that to toot my own horn, but I mean that to say... The average person has no idea what OCD actually is. So the fear of sounding dumb on your part is highly, highly unlikely. There is, there is a greater chance that you are going to sound thoughtful, intelligent, knowledgeable, and nuanced in your understanding of what OCD is. Likely speaking, it is going to illustrate that the other person doesn't know what OCD is, how it works, what it actually does to people. The average person thinks that OCD is washing a lot or being very particular about things, right? The, the classic, I'm so OCD, People think that's what it actually is, or they think it's, you know, they 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 like things in blue, or they like things in a in a gradient of colors or sizes. They think that's what it is. But you and I know that that's not what it is. It's a lot more than that. It's a lot more detailed and nuanced than that. So I would challenge you in that thought to reconsider what you think about uh, about telling people that you're not going to sound dumb. It is going to illustrate this other person's um, uh, lack of knowledge about it. Now, I find the best way to explain this to people is by building on what they already know or what they don't know. So you can explain to someone just simply o OCD, and I think that's a good start. Now, actually, before I even jump into that, we need to remember that we don't need to explain our OCD or our symptoms or our obsessions to anybody. No one needs, no one really, no, really no one needs to know. I would say your therapist, your psychiatrist, your doctor, 
those folks, I think, would would need to know, and I'm going to put that in asterisks or quotes, because um, there's always going to be caveat where perhaps they don't need to know. Um, people who may benefit from knowing might be really close loved ones. It might be parents if you're a minor. Um, it might be um, it, it it might be school uh, uh, school administrators. It might be bosses. Just depending on certain situations, right? In terms of how how that information is going to benefit you. But you know what? The vast majority of people, they don't really need to know. They don't. But if you have a desire to tell someone, I would start by just explaining to them what OCD is. OCD is really just a series of unwanted intrusive thoughts, feelings, images, sensations, or urges that cause someone to feel anxiety or, or another unwanted uh, uh, emotional or physical experience. And uh, in order to alleviate them of, uh, of that feeling or to get back to a sense of certainty or confidence, they do some sort of activity, a compulsion, to make sure that that thing is not going to happen or that they feel better. That can be through checking, reassurance seeking. It can be through avoidance. It can be through almost any number of things. It can be through a overt, meaning an outward thing. It can be a covert, meaning an inward compulsion all to make themselves feel better. Ultimately, what that does is makes them uh, get back to a sense of reassured safety, but it unfortunately reinforces the thought in and of itself. So when I talk to someone about this, I will say, you know, what do they think it is? And they'll say, oh, it's hand washing. I say, okay, well, what? why are they doing that? Well, they, they feel dirty, don't they? Or they, they feel like they're going to get sick. Okay, are they going to get sick or are they actually dirty? And they'll say, no, of course not. And you say, great. So what you're telling me is that they're doing an action based on a perception of danger, but you and I don't see the actual danger involved. They'll say, yes. You say, great. Now let's switch out the topic of this and we'll talk about homosexuality. We'll talk about one's relationships. So someone is doing something to try to respond to a perceived danger and they're perceiving that either homosexuality or their sexuality in general, uh, uh, in any direction, um, is a is a danger. It is experienced as a danger, but are they in danger? They'll say no. Great. So guess what? That's what ROCD is. Or excuse me, that, that's what HOCD is. ROCD, you can say they're responding to a danger in regards to their relationship or the future of their relationship or their happiness. So there are ways to explain it to people, but sometimes the best way to explain it is to print out an article on OCD and just give it to them. Say, this is what's going on. If you have questions, let me know. And that puts the responsibility in their court, on their shoulders, as it were. And, uh, and if they have questions, they can get back to you. And again, if you don't want to explain it to them, you don't have to. So, Haley, that is a quick and dirty explanation of what you can do to explain uh, HOCD or ROCD to someone. So, um, and you know what? I've had I've had clients take episodes of mine that that go over HOCD. I've got an, an episode on HOCD, an episode on ROCD that goes into it, and they're like forty five minutes long. You can give that to them and say, "Listen to this. This is what's going on." Because reading's hard and that takes time. So. Perhaps listening to a podcast would be easier. So, Haley, give that a try if you have any follow-up or if you actually got around to telling people, right back into the show. Let me know how it went. And um, if you feel comfortable, I will, uh, I'll share that on a future episode. So, Haley, thanks so much for that question.
This next question comes from John. John says, Hi, Kevin. I have POCD and I'm in treatment for it with a specialist. My OCD obsessions began with morality concerns, health anxiety, excessive hand washing, HOCD, etc. One day a few years back, I'm 18 now, I thought, what if I'm a pedophile? This has spiraled out of control since an incident in January when I got a vomiting bug and had an OCD attack, he says parenthetically. I also have a fear of feeling sick. Since then, my OCD has been at an all-time high. Over time, my obsession changed. I don't know when, but at some point, I began to stare at children, and I suppose the fact that I realized I was staring reinforced my fears and led me to more staring. Also, I'm not afraid that I'd harm a child. I'm worried about the morality of finding a child sexually attractive. Now, I struggle to stop myself staring at children, oftentimes their private areas, which is very distressing. I've read up on OCD staring and private staring, but my research has been pretty pointless as I've found very little information linking POCD with OCD staring. It seems that though my only problem is staring at this point, I've gotten to the point where intrusive thoughts don't bother me so much anymore. It's the urges to stare that make me feel so bad and so guilty. This causes me so much anxiety to the point where I feel ill. Can you shed some light on this situation, please? Thank you. John, thank you so much uh, for sending this in. As I'm sitting here trying to think about how to respond to this, I think the, 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 the main question that was in my head is, well, what is the compulsion and what is the compulsion doing for you? So you, you mentioned that you've had a lot of other kinds of obsessions in the past and a lot of uh, uh, OCD-related themes, uh, but POCD seems to be the, the main target right now. So if POCD is going to be the main target, we obviously want to think about, well, what is what is the feared thought? I mean, the feared thought for a lot of folks with POCD is going to be, well, what if I'm a pedophile? What if I am genuinely sexually attracted to a child? So what some folks will do is they will they will stare. They will stare at children. They will stare at various body parts, private parts, etc. Um, as a checking process. So they'll, they'll stare at a child um, just to make sure that they are not attracted. They're, they'll stare and they'll evaluate, do, do I feel turned on? Do I feel anything in my groin? Do I get that butterfly feeling that I would get if I stared at, um, you know, a an, an of-aged person or a, a, a similar aged person to myself? Uh, am I getting that feeling? So that would be what a, what one person, what some people might do as, as a compulsion, right? So as you pointed out, as you start to do that in a way to alleviate or to ensure that you are, quote, not a pedophile, your brain goes, yeah, but John, you're staring at children. You're staring at their private parts. You know who stares at children's private parts? pedophiles. And now we're back to the races. So now your OCD paints you into the into a corner. And now you can't win. So you either look at children to ensure that you're not a pedophile, because very often I would, I, I would suspect you are probably not getting those lovey-dovey feelings. And even if you were, so what? Sometimes we get weird feelings, right? But your brain's saying you can't have it both ways. You're trying to stare at children to ensure that you're not a pedophile. But then 
your brain says, well, now you are a pedophile because you're looking at children. So if you look away, then, or if you force yourself to not look at children, your brain goes, yeah, but you could be, just go ahead and check. You're still probably a pedophile because you haven't checked. So you're probably a pedophile, right? Or it'll even go one step further. You're spending so much time, John, thinking about children and not looking at children. You are doubly aware of where all the children are. So you're not looking at them. Gosh, wouldn't you think a pedophile thinks about children a lot? This is kind of the way that OCD tends to be because OCD is a jerk. I will resist using my pirate language today. I'm growing, everybody. I'm trying my darndest. All right. So you've also alluded to the fact that the, the intrusive thought doesn't bother you so much anymore. It's the urges to stare that makes you feel so bad and so guilty. So my question for you, John, is going to be, what does the urge signify for you? What is so bad about the fact that you feel the urge? Is it feeding back into that story that someone who's a pedophile or a pedophile has these urges, so therefore you're a pedophile. So just the presence of the urge is confirmation of the fear. Is that kind of what it is? Some folks might get into a, a obsessive cycle obs obsessing about the obsessing, right? There's that fun second layer of the obsession, right? Now I'm obsessing about whether or not I'm obsessing. Is this my obsession or is this a genuine thing? right? Is, should I check? Should I not check? What's the right thing to do? What's the wrong thing to do? And what happens if I pick the wrong one? And this questioning process can cause a lot of people bonus, double, extra anxiety. Um, and it can just, it just feeds up on itself. So if you're saying that the intrusive thought about you being a pedophile isn't really a problem, but you're saying it's the urges to stare that makes you feel so bad and so guilty. My sense is to think that this is a do it or don't situation. Look or don't. You have an urge to look. Well, you, you can choose to not look when we have an urge. And sometimes it's beneficial to challenge ourselves to see how long we can go without giving into that urge. How long can we go without staring at a child, right? Can I go for five minutes without looking at that child and sitting here with that urge, though everything within me says, look at the kid, look at the kid, look at the kid. And can I surprise myself with, gosh, how long I can resist looking? Can you go 10 minutes without looking? Can you go 15 minutes? I mean, that would be a long time to not look at a kid or to not give in to that urge, right? So sometimes we can surprise ourselves with how long we can resist this urge. And over time, the more you resist it, the more your brain will start to learn, you know what? I can resist looking. I can. Though sometimes we have this, this intrusive thought that says, I can't deal. I can't not look. And it just feels so stinking difficult. You can resist. You can. And we're going to have to live with the consequences of it if you resist. Maybe it means you're going to discover you're a pedophile. Maybe you are a pedophile and not looking and not giving into that urge is just is is just going to prolong this um, torture of not knowing. And you're you are going to discover that you are. But, you know, later than you want and probably too late. Right. If you could just know now you could get into treatment or you could know to move to, I don't know, whatever country they don't have children in so that you know to never be around children to keep them protected. Right. And none of that may apply to you, obviously, but um the point I'm trying to make here is that 
we can resist giving into that urge. And, and your target then may not be about whether or not you're a pedophile, but is about can I resist this urge, right? And it might be, the, the urge might be, can I resist the urge to wash my hands? Can I resist the urge to not go online and read coming out stories again? So that can be part, or that can be a sidestep way to, to view this approach, or perhaps perhaps for someone who's uh, who's not concerned about POCD. Now, then again, John, because you're not in my office, you're not on my couch, or you're not on my you know computer screen, um, as the pandemic is forcing online therapy for everybody. Um, some of the finer points I can't really get to, right? So I don't really know if the exposure ought to be or the the the, the homework ought to be sitting there with the, the urges or if it's to actually look and to sit with the reality that you are looking to not give in to that urge, right? If if it's if it's kind of playing chicken with your anxiety, right? You so you have this urge to look and you're questioning whether or not you ought to look and you're struggling to stop yourself from looking. Well, what happens if you look? Is it that if you look for t- if you look at a child for 2 minutes, if you look at a child with their groin at the park for 10 minutes, it like you're going to you're going to go, "Oh my gosh, I am a pedophile." Or it's going to click or you're going to feel that feeling. Well, Another way to think about this, and this would be something to talk about with your therapist, since you are working with a therapist on this, but is to say, how long can I go looking at children? And this might be an exposure to start by looking at children online, by looking at just pictures in magazines or catalogs or newspapers, right? And just see how long you can go. Almost say, all right, you know what? I'm going to play chicken with this brain. If you're saying that this is so bad and so dangerous, well, Let's go. Bring it on. I'm going to stare at this brain. I'm going to stare at this OCD, and I'm going to see how long I can stare at it. Now, obviously, I've gone back and forth with this, right? These two exposures, look or don't, right? Well, sometimes the obsession is about, should I look or should I not look? Because I'm not psychic, John, I don't really know exactly which one it ought to be for you. But those are two different approaches to consider for yourself. Is the fear what, what, well, a question for yourself, what happens if I look? What happens if I continue to look? Or what happens if I don't look? What do I sacrifice if I don't look? Man, what's going to happen if I do look or don't look, Right. So obviously those are some of those fears, but to then think about what is what can you do to let yourself sit within that fear and to accept that that you don't need to know, but you don't need to know the outcome of it, but we do need to know that we can sit and do the thing that makes us feel uncomfortable and anxious. Your brain is holding you hostage to doing it or not doing it and the morality of the fact that you have this urge and are you a good person or bad person or are you a pedophile or not because you have this urge. Well, it's not about whether or not you're a pedophile. It's not. It's about the urge. And it's about the anxiety. You've heard me say it before. OCD is a thought pro- or is, <laughs> OCD is a feeling problem, not a thought problem. You've gone through this thought a bajillion times, and I bet every single time you've gone through it, you went, but I'm not a pedophile. Great. But you keep telling yourself that, and you keep feeling the anxiety of it. The anxiety is the problem. That, that anxiety about the urge is the quote problem. So we're going to punch the urge and the anxiety in the face. That's the problem. So we're going to lean into that problem and tolerate that problem and realize that problem's not a problem because we can tolerate that feeling. 
So, John, I hope all that made sense. I feel like I did a lot of rambling at the very end of there, but um, but best of luck. And if you have questions about this, uh, feel free to present this to your specialist. If this stuff goes against what your therapist is telling you, uh, you can chat with him or her about this, and you can talk about whether or not I am completely off and what I'm advising or suggesting or presenting as educational options to you is just complete bonkers hogwash, or if that would be something worth trying based on the fears that you're currently experiencing. So um, so again, John, uh, uh, chat about this with your therapist. Best of luck. Right, this next question comes from L. L says, For a while now, I've struggled with anxiety around sexually assaulting slash being sexually assaulted by family members, but I don't know how to make the fear stop. There have been some stigma and shame around sex in my life, as well as a few encounters with sexual aggression directed towards myself and others. Identifying as queer has made these obsessions worse because I'm doubly worried about my sexuality being something that would cause me to suddenly develop feelings for a sibling or parent. Alongside sexual aversion, touch aversion, and relationship distinction, I also carry these fears at all times. I don't know what to do. All right, Al, um, thank you for sending that in. So, Al, I think there are a couple ways to approach this. And the first thing that I would say is, is because I, I only have the information that you sent me, I think one of the things for you to consider, if you haven't done this already, is that if there is a history in your life of, of sexual assault or sexual trauma, um, that may be something worth looking into in terms of talking with a therapist, unpacking some of this, and getting to some sort of uh, resolution or some sort of peace with that experience before jumping into this. So, Sometimes some obsessions can be influenced by and or triggered by traumatic, uh, uh, by trauma, by traumatic experiences, by sexual assault, things like that. And, and sometimes it can, it can be vicarious sexual assault or vicarious trauma. So hearing stories about, uh, about sexual assault from other people can be triggering and can be traumatizing to the person hearing the story. So, if, if that has been happening, that's that, that may be something worth looking into before jumping into doing some exposures um, for this being an, an obsession or this being uh, if, if this rather than responding to this as if it's OCD, looking at it from a, a, tra a trauma perspective first, if that's something that you've experienced and if that uh, seems applicable in your case. So if you've listened to this podcast at all, or if you've been in OCD land uh, long enough, you will know that our goal isn't to make the fear stop. More specifically, we're not trying to, quote, make the obsession or the fear stop. What we're trying to do is to develop a new relationship with that obsession and that fear. That new relationship with that obsession and that fear is that these are, are, are things, these are things that you and I can think about. These are feelings that you and I can have. These are feelings that you and I like to have sometimes. Having fear is exciting. It's fun. It's sought out. It is something that we want. But in cases like this, it is unwanted. It is out of character. It is intrusive and unwanted, right? That's why we call them unwanted intrusive thoughts, feelings, sensations, or urges. 
So, we're trying to treat them as that. We're not trying to say that these are bad and awful and terrible and I need to get rid of them in order to go live my life, but instead to say, I'm going to develop a new relationship with these and to say, yeah, these can be there. And my effort to force them out of my head or to get them out of my head is only making it worse. So I need to find a way to live with them in a mutually tolerant situation. That's such a weird way to think about it because we, we often hear things about like trying to stop our thoughts or getting rid of our thoughts. Shoot, you might hear therapists talk about thought stopping. Those are thought stopping techniques that every therapist is trained in. Um, but ultimately, when it comes to OCD and obsessions, the, the, this just ultimately doesn't work and it's counterproductive. But you're saying that you're struggling with anxiety around sexual assaulting or being sexually assaulted by family members. Again, if there was a history of trauma there, that may be something to talk about first before jumping into this as if it is just a exposure now or as an obsession. If none of that has ever, ever, ever happened, then we may be able to just treat this as a straightforward obsession because sometimes our brain just grabs onto weird bits of information and tells us these weird stories about something that may happen or could happen. And those things, I suppose, could happen. And our brain says, you know what, because it could happen, it might happen. So you better make sure that it doesn't happen. Because what if it does, right? Wouldn't that be the worst possible thing? And given it wouldn't be fun, it would be bad, in a sense, you get what I'm saying, but it would be unwanted. Let's say that. Now, you also cite that there's been, you specifically say there's been, there's been much shame and stigma around sex in your life. Sometimes that happens where either family members don't know what to talk about with sex. Sometimes society don't, doesn't know what to say around sex. Sometimes um, uh, r uh, religious institutions or groups or whatever, just don't, they don't know what to say around sex. And it's, it's, it is deemed uh, bad and gross and shameful and awful and don't do it, right? And we get this message or we can start to learn this message that it is bad and it's all bad and it's never good and ought to be avoided at all times. And any interaction with it or experience with it ought to be something that we avoid or that we stop or that we repent of or that we should take on as, a, as evidence of our own failures. Now, if that is the message that, that you've received, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you've experienced that. And it's, it's unfair that that has happened, if that is indeed what has happened. What OCD sometimes does, and I'm wondering if this is what's happening here, is it's learned that any sort of thoughts about sex is wrong, is bad, and it needs to be gotten rid of or avoided or squashed or destroyed. Additionally, you said you identify as queer, and the 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 obsession that you kind of said as as coming from that or 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 corresponding to that is worrying that it may cause you to develop feelings for a sibling or a parent. Now that that to a certain degree sounds like some of the propaganda against the LGBT community saying that you know if if they're into that they're you know they're they're, they're the next thing is is uh, is incest or something preposterous like that. So one thing, if you were if you were in my office, is we'd start challenging the legitimacy of some of these fears that you're having. So one of the things that we do in cognitive behavioral therapy is look at the thoughts that you're experiencing and how they are influencing your behaviors, how they are influencing either that avoidance or that reassurance seeking or those compulsive behaviors, right? 
So what are the thoughts that you're having? Where did that thought come from? Do you have any evidence for it? Do you have any evidence against it? Um, do you, does anybody else in your circle believe that that's likely to be true about you or about someone who's identifying as queer or someone who, just whatever, right? And to see if we can think differently about that story. And if we can think differently, furthermore, about the anxiety of the, of the fear of sexually assaulting or being sexually assaulted around family members, can you challenge the legitimacy of that thought about the likelihood that it could happen, would happen, should happen, etc.? And if we can think differently about it, perhaps we can, that can give us the firm ground to then take a risk with these thoughts and to engage them, to engage the specific thoughts. So, if, if we were to be doing exposures about this, we'd be, likely speaking, we'd be doing a lot of scripting about this story actually happening. Again, if this is something that has actually happened or there is evidence of it, I'm going to advise you don't do it until you, and you don't do scripting until you work with a, a specialist in uh, trauma. But assuming that there is no genuine traumatic experiences in your life, um, scripting these stories actually happening can be very beneficial. Scripting saying, yeah, this is, I am becoming attracted to a family member, a parent, etc. And, uh, and it, it, it affects my life this way. And we run off to, I don't know, one of the one, one of the weird states or one of the weird countries that, that lets you marry a sibling or a, 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 you get what I'm saying. I'm rambling now. I'm rambling now in trying to not be offensive in the reality that my brain is just going towards an offensive premise. Anyways, the whole point is writing this story out as if it were actually happening and sitting with the anxiety and again, developing that new relationship with that feeling. We kick up the dust of this anxiety so that we tell our anxiety and our brain, this is okay. I can feel this. It feels bad. It feels uncomfortable. I don't like it or love it, but I can feel this and I'm going to and just say, you know what, stupid anxiety brain, yeah, do your worst. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to make space for this feeling and allow for the feeling to be here long enough to also see it leave. It's not going to chase me out of the room. It's going to get bored with me because I'm going to sit here long enough and watch it get bored. I'm not going to interact with my anxiety. I'm not going to try to tell it that it's wrong or that it's never going to happen or anything. I'm just going to sit here with the anxiety and sit here with my story that's floating around in my brain and to let that anxiety go. In addition to that, um, looking at what what is meant by these phrases, sexual aversion, touch aversion, and relationship distinction. What do those terms mean to you? What is the story around that? What is the feared story related to that? Again, all of this is assuming that there is no genuine um, uh, uh, trauma going on, and there may be a lot more going on here. Um, but what is the story surrounding that? And, you know, let's say it's just if I touch someone or if I get physically close with someone, it kicks up all these thoughts and, oh my gosh, I might, if I hug my dad, I might get turned on and all of a sudden become attracted to him and, you know, run off to some state that and marry my dad. I don't know. That may be the story. So you avoid getting in any contact with your dad, your cousin, your uncle, whoever, your brother. Um, so part of that would then be to say, can, if I can sit with the story of this and if I can tolerate the thought going through my mind, can I tolerate sitting next to them? Can I tolerate a one second hug and the thoughts that are naturally going to come with them and go, yeah, man, this is the stuff that my brain gives me. Of course, that thought's going to be there when I give them a hug or something to that effect. 
And I'm going to let that thought be there and float out of my mind, even though, man, it's uncomfortable. Man, I don't want that story to happen. But we're going to see if it does. And if it and and we're going to see if I can how long I can tolerate that feeling before it goes away. And to realize I'm stronger than that feeling, I'm stronger than that anxiety. So, so L, there's a lot to think in this or think about with this, and there's a lot to unpack with that. So, if you have further questions, one, I, if you're not currently working with a therapist and working on unpacking some of this stuff, I would highly encourage you to do so. Um, if you have follow up questions or if you have uh, some updates to this, since this question was sent in a couple of months ago, uh, along with all the other ones that we're talking about today, but if you have a follow up, message me. I would love to hear what the follow-up is, and I would love to share that on a future episode. So, Elle, um, I, I hope you can find some peace and resolution with this, and I hope you can find some confidence to embrace and to uh, uh, overpower that anxiety by punching it in its face in a loving and welcoming kind of way. So, Elle, thank you so much for that question. So this last question comes from Eileen. I'm a 27-year-old woman, and I have a question about POCD. My POCD isn't so much focused on young children, but on teenagers, probably 15 to 17 or so. Before this, I was pretty confidently attracted to men at my age or older. She says, parenthetically, I have HOCD in the past as well. But this is what I'm hung up on. I'm attracted to obvious adult male features like a strong jawline or a certain build or whatever. But I sometimes notice these features in teenage boys as well. The idea that I find these features attractive on a teenager is worrying to me. I would never want to date a teenager, but the fact that the capacity to be attracted to these things bothers me. Usually what happens is I'll notice someone and I'll think they're attractive, but then think how old they might be. It's not every teenager either. It's just the more adult-looking ones. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. All right, Eileen, I love this question. I love this question. I love it. I'll tell you why. I love it because I hear this question, I hear this, this anxiety from a lot of men experiencing POCD and thinking they are gross and terrible and awful for seeing a woman who is 15 to 17 years old and saying, I'm so disgusting that I would find something about them attractive, and therefore I must be a pedophile. So hearing it from the other side just verifies, and I hope this I hope everybody with with POCD hears this, is that it's not just one person, it is all people, it is people can experience this anxiety. And you know what? Real talk. And I think, and this is the discussion that I typically have with this. Here's the problem with 15 to 17 year olds. Sometimes they look like they're 18. Sometimes they look like they're adults. And guess what? As it turns out, our brains are kind of wired to be attracted to certain features. So for you, it, it's going to be that jawline and it's going to be that build. And guess what? Some 15 to 17 year old boys have this. And for men out there who are experiencing the reverse of this, you might be attracted to a certain body shape or whatever. And guess what? Some 15 to 17-year-old women have this. So the fact that your eyes are seeing this is understandable. Of course, we're going to notice. 
right? That's the thing that you're into is that body shape, that size, that that whatever. Um, Eileen, if you saw, I mean, you've, you've acknowledged this, if you saw a 27-year-old with that, who looked exactly the same, if you got this, if you found someone and they were attractive and you, and they showed their ID and they were 27, you'd say, great. And if they looked exactly the same and they saw their ID or you saw their ID and they were 16, you'd say, ah, hell, right? But the whole point is, is that our brain is going to notice the story that feeds back is, is obviously, or for a lot of people, oh no, what if this means that I'm a pedophile, that I'm attracted to this person? Well, first, you have acknowledged that this is not something that you ultimately would like to do. You, in fact, feel anxious about this, so much so that you emailed some ridiculous podcaster about it. Now, our goal here, though, is both acceptance and tolerance, in that order. The first is to accept that there is a awareness of a feeling and an awareness of an attraction. It's there. You've acknowledged it. You go, man, that 17-year-old's hot. He is. I hate to tell you. And this is the real talk I'm talking about, everybody. That 17-year-old's hot. And we're going to use that language. It's kind of actually, it's, it's kind of that if they were 17 years old, 364 days old, they would be cute good-looking, strapping, uh, a, a, a heartbreaker, some ridiculous phrase like that. Um, and if just a day, 24 hours, 12 hours, two hours until their birthday, now they can be hot. Ooh, because our society, I'm assuming you are in America and the vast majority of other states or countries out there, where we've just said 18, 18's the line, 18's the, the, the age that we're going with. So, if you just waited a couple hours, it would be perfectly acceptable in everybody's minds, including Johnny Law, right? Our brain doesn't care about that line. We as a society has, have arbitrarily just said, yeah, 18, that's a thing. Whereas some states have said 16 is a thing. Some countries have said younger is, is the okay line. It's arbitrary. Our brain just goes... Are, are they hot? Are they attractive? Do they have these secondary sexual characteristics that perhaps I could breed with this person and create offspring that would carry my genetic lineage off until the sunset? It's what our dumb brain does. It's our silly um, lizard brain that has this. So there's an acceptance of, of this is the reality of, of, the, of us as people. Now, does it mean you're a pedophile? Well, that's the part we're going to have to sit with, and we are going to spend our time not engaging that thought. Instead, we're going to say, I don't know. I don't. I don't care. And I'm not going to look into it any more than I already have. Maybe I am. And um, you know what? I'm going I'm to keep looking at these 17-year-olds and seeing their jawline and just go, yeah, I am. But today ain't that day, Eileen. Today's probably not that day. So, great. Then keep living your life. Keep trying to date 27-year-olds or up. And... Maybe one day it's going to click, and maybe one day you're just going to go, man, that 15-year-old's for me. Come on, 15-year-old, let's go. Maybe, but that is that fear you're going to have to sit with, and that's the reality that you're going to have to sit with. Now, am I going to answer whether or not you are a pedophile? Because you know what? I, no, I'm not going to, because I don't know. You might be. To the other person out there, to the other non-Eileen out there who's experiencing these thoughts and going, man, 15 to 17-year-olds are attractive because they have X, Y, and Z. 
I don't know you're a pedophile. I don't know if you are. You might be. But you know what? We're all going to sit with this anxiety. If, you're, if you have fought this thought and thought about it and went, you know what? I'm probably not. You know, we're just going to have to sit with that and spend no more 0% time no more time and 0% time. Not no more 0% because the double negative would mean we're going to be spending more time thinking about it. You get the idea. Stop thinking about it. We're going to not actively spend our time trying to figure this conundrum out, but to say, I don't know, and I'm going to let this anxiety be there. So, the exposures to that for you would certainly be to script this out. It would also be, and I've talked to folks about this, and this is uncomfortable for a lot of people. So after you script this out and to tolerate the story of, you know, you yes, you are a pedophile and that you're going to find a 15-year-old and you move to one of the square states or one of those countries, that you, all the stuff that I mentioned in the previous one that it was offensive, and I know it is, but um, all that stuff. And you write down all that stuff as if it's true. But you know what? Lean into this one, Eileen. Lean into it. If you see every person that you see, man, woman, child, male, female, antelope, that has that jawline, you go, man, that's a sexy jawline. I would do that jawline. I would have sex with that jawline. Whatever the verbiage you might use, right? If it's that body shape, you go, ooh, that body shape. Man, woman, child, adult, female, adult, male, adolescent, antelope, picture, plant, mineral, I don't care. You're going to look at that and you're going to go, they are hot and sexy and I would have sex with that person and that jawline and that body shape. If it sounds silly the way that I'm saying it is because it kind of is. It kind of is. But isn't that your fear? Great. Let's just lean into it. Let's take the power away from it. Let's reclaim this thought. And you're going to say that thought so many times to so many people of so many ages and so many species that it's going to sound silly. And your brain's going to go, oh, I, I just, I noticed this look. Okay, well, I'm not going to send this danger message out because I happen to notice a jawline that's, that's square or sharp or chiseled or whatever verbiage it is. I'm assuming that's what you're looking at. Maybe it's, maybe the jawline you're looking at is like the, 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 the one with, without a, much of a chin and it just kind of goes like, like jaw to neck. It doesn't have that like under thing. It just goes like straight down. Maybe that's what you're into. I don't know. I'm making I'm making assumptions, Eileen. But what I want you to do is just to lean into that and say, yeah, it's all hot. I'm gonna say, don't have sex with a seven don't have sex with minors. I think that's advisable. Don't have sex with minors. That's my advice. So legal folks out there, no, I'm advising no sex with minors. But you know what? Have the thought, lean into it. And if you find yourself having sex with minors, well, maybe you're going to learn something about yourself, and I think you know what to do. So, but that's unlikely to happen, right? But we're going to have to sit with that uncertainty, right, Eileen? I know this is exactly what you wanted me to say, but that would be my advice. And I think that that is solid and fun and goofy advice, is to look at every single person and for a time, lean into that thought. Just say, everyone's hot. Super attractive and sit with that anxiety because it's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel wrong. Good. Good. That's the point of all this. We're tolerating the wrong. So, Eileen, best of luck with this. If, uh, if you try it and you experience some success, let us all know. I will put up a, uh, a success post later down the line. So, again, thank you so much and best of luck. 
Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for making it through this episode. This um, started off very quiet and somber that ended up getting really goofy at the end. So um, there's that. All right. Um, if you, everybody, if you have questions um, about, uh, if you have questions about OCD, questions that uh, about these questions, or or you want to add something on, or you found that I was incredibly offensive and just I'm I'm absolutely the worst. Um, that's also possible. Additionally, if you found that uh, if you if I missed something and you want to add something to any of the the, the uh, callers or writers or questioners, um, let me know. Uh, send go to fearcastpodcast.com ask me or, or let me know and we submit a question but you can submit a, a criticism I suppose as well and let me know um, what could be done differently or what should have been said differently so everybody um, please remember that the fear cast is uh, just for educational purposes and is not uh, a substitute for psychotherapy I'm not doing therapy and you know what unless you are my unless you are my client you're not my client so please remember that this is not a substitute for psychotherapy uh, if you have questions about getting into therapy Therapy, getting into your own therapy, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, go to the find help link, and there's going to be some uh, uh, links and stuff for you uh, that you can get some information and help there. So, everyone, uh, as a reminder, if you like the show, uh, subscribe to it, like it, write a review for it, um, and, uh, and more importantly, tell a friend about it who might benefit from some of the information. Okay, everybody, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously.